Hello and welcome to Reading Between the Lines, the story podcast from the People's Friend in association with the Oddfellows. Each episode, a few of us from the Friend team delve into our archives to find a story to read and then sit down for a wee chat about it. So, make yourself a cuppa, pull up a chair and come join us. This episode, we're reading They All Found Happiness by Lillian Chisholm. First published on the 20th of April, 1940. Reading the story is friend fiction editor Lucy. Over to Lucy. The letter had arrived by the first post when Elizabeth was in the middle of bathing Johnny. She had propped it up on the mantel shelf, given the postman, old Joe, a cup of nice hot tea, exchanged a bit of gossip with him, meanwhile rubbing down the sturdy little boy before the kitchen fire. My, but he's growing, Elizabeth, remarked old Joe, warming his hands round the large breakfast cup. My, but he's growing, Elizabeth, remarked old Joe, warming his hands round the large breakfast cup. Grows more like you every day, so he do. Anyone can see he's your daughter's son, all right. Get along with you, she told him sharply. But for all her quick tongue, her cheeks glowed with pride. Her faded old eyes were happy. Johnny, her little world. She had never dreamed heaven would be so kind when all else was taken away from her, as to give her little Johnny. Always, for just as long as she could remember, she had dreamed of the day when she would hold a son in her arms. But that day had never come. Only little Rosemary, so delicate, so frail, so small. And then, very soon afterwards, tragedy had stalked across her life and left her a widow at twenty-five, with a delicate child to rear, single-handed. All her dreams of a little son had died then, and she had devoted herself, body and soul, to her little girl. She'd made a pretty good job of it too, she always thought secretly. Little Rosemary was so different to the other village children. They were big and strong, and she was as delicate and as dainty as a flower as shy and winsome as a fairy. Too good for this world, you mark my words, the old women of the village had whispered amongst themselves, but old Elizabeth had scoffed at them. She looks tiny, she told them firmly, but for all that she's as strong as a wire inside. Only wires snap. Rosemary had grown up from babyhood to childhood, from childhood to radiant, beautiful girlhood, and John had come into her life. Elizabeth had hidden her fear and listened to Rosemary's eager talk, noticed her shy blushes, her starry eyes. It seemed hard that, after all these hard, work-filled years, she had to lose her little girl, but if that way meant happiness for Rosemary, that must be the way. John was a fine man, upright, strong. He would look after Rosemary, protect her, just as Elizabeth had done. 
For one long, radiant year, Rosemary had her happiness with John. Then, on a soft spring night, a little son was born, and the flame of rosemary that had flickered so feebly went quietly out. John brought the little boy to Elizabeth, his face haggard, his eyes distraught. I feel I cannot love him, Gran, he said thickly. It's as if, as if. I know, son, she said quietly, hiding her own aching grief. It seems almost as if the bairn took your wife from you, doesn't it? But maybe it was for the best, if only we could understand. Rosemary wanted to give you a son more than anything in the world. At least you can remember that. But he could find no comfort in the thought. A few weeks later, he had packed his few belongings, closed up the little farm where he had taken his young bride, and gone abroad, leaving his son in Elizabeth's care. You look after him, Gran, he had said when he came to say goodbye. Rosemary would have wanted you to have him, I know. She wanted him called Johnny. And so, for five years, little Johnny, his own version of the name, and one which had become commonly accepted in the village, had lived with Elizabeth in the little cottage where his own mother had been born. They were a queer couple, the sturdy little boy who seemed to have inherited his father's strength along with his mother's sweetness and kindliness, and the frail old woman whose life was dedicated to the boy. It was a common sight in the village to see the odd couple going to church on a Sunday, tending the little flower-strewn grave resting in the sun-filled corner of the churchyard to see the little boy waving goodbye to his gran as he ran off to school each morning, to see the old lady peering anxiously up the dusty road when it was time for a certain little boy to return home. Now and again, fitfully, she heard from her son-in-law. There was never much news in the letters, and gradually John had become blurred in her memory, a vague figure that had drifted in and out of her life, briefly, leaving very little impression behind him. Janny, to her, was her own little boy, given her by Rosemary. Sometimes she forgot to read John's letters until they were three or four days old. He never spoke of coming home. Old Joe put down his cup reluctantly. Suppose I must be making a move, he said gruffly. See you again soon, Beth. Goodbye, young Janny boy. Take care of your gran. The boy pointed up at the letter with the strange stamp. Can I have it, gran? He asked excitedly. Young Tom is going to swap stamps with me this morning and maybe he'll let me have two for one of these foreigners. It is foreign, isn't it, gran? She wiped her hands on her apron and reached for the letter, perching her specks on her nose. Not exactly foreign, Johnny, she murmured. Might as well see what the lad had to say. See, it's a beauty of a stamp, all right. All the way from Canada, mind you. Let's see what your father has to say. The little boy waited, anxious to be off on his games. His father. Just a name, nothing more. He had never known him, never seen him, to his memory. Other boys talked about their dads. Fine, mysterious people who taught a boy great things. 
showed them how to whittle a boat, how to track rabbits, how to tie knots that wouldn't come undone. Only last week, one of the boys, laughing at Janny's attempts at knot tying, had scoffed at him. Janny ties Granny's knots, he had sneered. And all the other boys had laughed, some of them a little uncomfortably. Janny had thought a lot about it since. There seemed to be something different about him all of a sudden. Other little boys didn't live with their grannies. They had mothers and dads. Mother was dead, of course. He knew all about her. She had been a lovely lady, the sort of mother a boy likes to have. But Dad, Gran never spoke much about him. Just that he had gone off to Canada and stopped there. Sometimes, in the middle of the night, Johnny would wake up and remember that his dad hadn't loved him enough to wonder what sort of lad he had grown up to be. He looked up sharply as his gran uttered a strange little sound. She pulled forward a chair and sat down, re-reading the letter. The boy stood watching, awkward, suddenly afraid. Dad isn't ill, gran, he asked, puzzled. She shook her head and pulled the boy towards her. They shan't do it, she said sharply, with an anger he had never seen before in her eyes. They can't do such a thing. It isn't human. Is Dad cross with you, Gran? he asked nervously, and she thrust the letter into her apron pocket and pushed him to the door. Run along, child. Go out and play. It's nothing, nothing. When he had gone... She sat for a long time, staring at the fire. John was coming home. That, in itself, was a small matter. But he was bringing his wife with him. His wife. I know you will be glad I have found happiness, grand dear, he had written. And you will love Sonia. She is so anxious to see her new little son. I feel I have neglected the boy shockingly. But now at last I can offer him a real home with a mother and father. Quite suddenly I am anxious to see my boy again and very soon we shall be there with you. Her lips twisted bitterly as she tore the letter to shreds. Quite suddenly, she mocked. Quite suddenly you want to see your son, you and your new wife, calmly deciding to take your boy. But you shan't. You're not going to take him from me. I'll fight with every ounce of strength left in me. But you shan't take Janny away from me. In the afternoon, she put on her best hat and coat and went to see the vicar. Elizabeth's faith was simple, with a childlike trust in the man who had taught her about God. You'll tell me how to manage, sir, she said, sitting in the cosy little study. You see, strictly speaking... The boy belongs to me, doesn't he now? The old man's eyes were very gentle. He had known Elizabeth long and loved her deeply. My dear, he said quietly, wondering how to tackle this problem. You have given Janny everything. Love, care, instruction, health. Nobody could admire you for what you have done more than I do. But John is still the boy's father. She looked at him rebelliously. He hasn't done anything for the boy, she said defiantly. He was content enough to leave the boy with me all these years. 
You aren't saying it's right that he should suddenly get a whim into his head and come home and take the boy away from me? I... I couldn't... Her old lips trembled weakly. I couldn't bear to lose the boy, sir. He's all I have now. John is young. He has a young wife. A life before him. The old man leaned forward. And all those things he would share with the boy, Elizabeth, my dear. He said softly, Have you realised that? Johnny is young too, like his father. She stared at him, like a child unfairly slapped. You mean, she said doubtfully, you mean I'm too old to look after Johnny? But I've done everything, sir. The lad has never wanted for anything, and I can still work along with the best of them. The old man rose to his feet feeling suddenly tired to death. So often of late, he had this feeling when one of his parishioners came to him, trusting in him implicitly. My dear, he said impulsively, think of Rosemary. Try and imagine what she would want you to do. After all, she loved John, didn't she? When she bore him a son, she was very proud, remember? That last night, when you fetched me to her, do you recall what she whispered to us? I'm glad to do this for John. I would do anything in the world to make him happy, mother. Elizabeth got up stiffly, smoothed her black gloves. Her face was very pale, but there was a quiet peace about her eyes. Thank you, sir, she said simply. Reckon I was forgetting that. I'm much obliged to you. If the boy wants Johnny, I guess he'll have to take him. The days passed with incredible swiftness, bringing that dreaded day nearer and nearer. She had said nothing to the boy, afraid to spoil these last few precious days. They went everywhere together. She gave him old, long-promised treats, a trip into town where she bought him his first real suit to wear on the day when... when... She bought him a tie, a pair of strong boots... She took out preciously saved shillings for a new knife, but Johnny looked up at her, flushed. Not a knife, Grand thanks, he said, awkwardly. You see, a chap likes a man to buy a knife for him. You don't mind, Gran? No knife in the world could have cut her more sharply than that. She understood now what she had never noticed, or never wanted to notice, before. The boy was growing up, beginning to realise that other boys didn't go about with an old lady, didn't have a silly, fussy old lady bringing them to school on wet days in case they got their feet wet, didn't have a fussy old woman writing to teacher to have homework excused because he had to be in bed by seven. It was time Johnny had a father to look after him. All the fight went out of her. For the two days remaining she was quiet, brooding, so that little Johnny went about unhappily, wondering why his little world had suddenly gone lopsided. On the day when they were to come, Elizabeth rose early to clean the house. She, when she came, should find everything perfect. No doubt she would be a grand lass, with fine airs. Somebody who had banished the memory of Rosemary from John's mind and enthroned herself in that memory's place. Elizabeth hated her with a deep, 
intense hatred. Her own little girl, banished and forgotten. A stranger enthroned in her place. A stranger who would take Rosemary's little son away from his real place. Maybe she would be cruel to him. And one day, when she had children of her own, maybe Janny would take a back seat. They arrived at eleven when Janny was at school. Elizabeth was at the gate to meet them. John, John, my boy. He had not changed. She knew that the moment he took her in his strong arms. He was the same man who had captured her little girl's heart. Big, strong, gentle. And somehow, in the way that he held her, she knew that Rosemary had not been banished. There might be another woman in his life, but Rosemary was still there in his heart. Grandier, he said quietly, this is Sonia. You two ought to love one another. Elizabeth turned. She saw a small girl, little more than a child. Strong, sturdy, as brown as a berry. The kind of woman, she thought bitterly, who would bear children easily who would be strong through the years, a real helpmate to her husband, ready to fight any battles with him side by side. How could he love such a woman after Rosemary? Rosemary, so sweet, so exquisitely beautiful. Come in, she said stiffly. You must be tired. Johnny will be home soon. Looking at the girl, she was surprised to see a sudden light in the dark eyes. Yet, how could she be anxious about Johnny? A new bride, young, would any such woman be anxious to saddle herself with a stepson? You go up to your own boy's room, son, she said to John, the little room at the top of the stairs. I've put water and towels for you there. I'll take your wife to my room. It had been Rosemary's room once. Elizabeth felt a pang of jealousy shoot through her as the girl went quietly to the washstand and began to tidy her hair. It was unfair, cruel, bringing this stranger, this outsider, here, into the very heart of Rosemary's life. How could John be so cruel? Had he, could he have forgotten his first little wife, after all? Had her memory been too frail to last? You don't like me, do you? The girl said quietly, startling Elizabeth out of her dreams. I'm sorry. I was hoping you would. Elizabeth coloured, smoothed the bedspread nervously. Oh, come, dear, she said hesitantly. How can you say that? We scarcely know one another, do we? For a moment, the girl stared at Elizabeth. Then quite quietly, she sat down beside Elizabeth. You needn't hate me, she said flatly, and Elizabeth, turning amazed eyes upon the girl, saw that the dark eyes were full of tears. You see, he never forgets her. Not for a moment. Please, she put out a quick brown hand as Elizabeth made to speak. Let me tell you, maybe it will help you to tolerate my presence here. You loved Rosemary, but so did he. Just at first I thought, that I could take her place, make him happy again. But she's always there, always. When I first met him, 
I was so very happy. It was the first time I ever fell in love, and then I heard about this little boy. Elizabeth stared, a queer look growing in her old eyes. You minded about the little boy? she asked quietly, a swift hope in her heart. Supposing, oh supposing, they didn't want Johnny after all. The girl raised her head. I can never have any children, Gran, she said, simply. I had an accident long ago and the doctor told my mother. It used to break my heart sometimes. Then I met John and he told me about his little boy. I thought heaven was being too kind to me, giving me John to love and a little son into the bargain. You don't know how I planned things, Gran. How I would grow to think Johnny was my very own almost as if he had grown in my own body, part of me. But now it all seems so hopeless. Rosemary, her voice sank to a whisper, Rosemary is always there, standing between us, and I can't pretend that John loves me, or that her little boy is mine. For a long time the two women sat there, on the bed, silent, Elizabeth's eyes travelled slowly round the room until they found the photograph that always stood on the windowsill. It was the last one they had taken of her when she was expecting Johnny. Just the head and shoulders, as fragile as Dresden china, as beautiful as a half-opened flower. Little Rosemary, who had given up her life so happily for John. I would do anything in the world for John, mother. Her whisper seemed to go round and round the room, round and round in Elizabeth's brain. She had never wanted anything but that, John's happiness. And here was John's happiness threatened, his second wife unhappy, Johnny's future uncertain, John's contentment most certainly threatened. Three of them torn and uncertain, unable to rest because of the poor little ghost of Rosemary, Rosemary, who had always wanted them to be happy. And then, very slowly, Elizabeth put out a hand and touched the young brown one close beside her. Listen, my dear, she said firmly. I was never going to tell you, but now I think you ought to know. Some time ago, it must have been when John first met you, he wrote to me. He told me about you and then he added these words. Sometimes I hate myself feeling I am being disloyal to Rosemary and loving Sonia. But Gran, try and understand we were very young, Rosemary and I. This is so different. Surely Rosemary would not have begrudged me this great happiness. I have never loved like this before. It is something different to anything I ever knew. The girl was staring at her, a growing wonder in her dark eyes. He said that? She asked huskily. About, about me? Oh, mother, are you sure? Her eyes fixed bravely on the photograph. Elizabeth nodded. Quite sure. She lied again, her heart thumping heavily. So you see, you can be quite happy. John loved my little girl, as we all loved her. He was very kind to her, very gentle and loving, as he might have been to any little girl who was lovable and sick and delicate. 
He always had a soft spot in his heart for poor broken things, did John. Sometimes I believe that was why he married her, to take care of her. Warm arms were thrown around her, a soft, fresh face pressed hers. Oh, Gran, whispered the young voice, I've been so stupid. I, I believe I've almost hated little Rosemary. Now I feel only pity for her, poor dear little girl. I'll be so good to Janny, Gran, for, for her sake. There was a joyous shout from below, a young, excited voice. Gran, Gran, did you see who's here? My father, my real dad. I've got a dad like the other boys, and he can make better boats than any of the other dads, and, oh, Gran, he says it doesn't hurt boys to get their feet wet sometimes, and, Gran, where are you? She took it all bravely. She had only to keep up until they had all gone, then she could let go. She could pray to heaven to forgive her for all the awful lies she had told and ask her little girl to forgive her for what she had said about her. Little Johnny didn't mean to be cruel. He wanted a normal life like other children, not to be tied all his young life to an old woman's apron strings. Here, darling, she called as his feet stumbled excitedly up the stairs. I'm with your new mother. He faced them shyly flushed, sturdy little boy with Rosemary's eyes. He held out his hand to Sonia. How do you do? he asked politely. It's very kind of you to want to be my mother, but you see, I have a mother, thank you. For a moment there was a strained silence. Then Sonia looked at Elizabeth and smiled bravely. He's right, she said quietly. We must never take Rosemary away from him. No, dear, I'm not your mother. I'm just somebody who wants to look after you and love you very much. Do you know what your daddy calls me? He calls me Sonny. Would you like to call me that too? After dinner, we'll ask Gran to take us up to put some very special flowers on your mother's grave. To thank her for leading you to me, shall we? And then it was evening and they were sitting by the fire. And now, said John, tapping out his pipe, isn't it time we discussed what we're going to do, Sonia? Elizabeth sat very, very still. Now it was coming, the last fence she had to take, and the stiffest. Of course, you want Janny, she said quietly. She saw John take Sonia's small brown hand between his strong, gentle fingers and a smile of new understanding flashed between them. So, she had not lied about little Rosemary in vain. Two hearts had found happiness, and maybe, she realised suddenly, looking at John, maybe she had not lied so very much after all. There was a new quietness about John, a serenity, a calm. In the old days he had been loving, but always with the love that a man gives to a little child. Supposing she hadn't lied up there in Rosemary's room at all? Oh yes, Sonia was saying eagerly, we want little Janny terribly. We were thinking of opening up the farm again. John is tired of Canada, and I guess any place is home to me, so long as John and his little boy are there. So that's what we've decided to do. The present tenants are anxious to vacate, fortunately. 
The firelight flickering on Elizabeth's face showed it pale and lonely. You, you'll let me see him often? She asked in little above a whisper. For a moment there was a silence in the room. Then, very gently, Sonia knelt down in front of Elizabeth and took her two work-worn hands between her firm young fingers. Why, you dear stupid old gran, she said shakily, you didn't suppose for one moment we were going to take Johnny away from you? Why, naturally, you're coming too. Reading Between the Lines is proud to be sponsored by Friendship Society, The Oddfellows. If you've ever wondered what being a member of The Oddfellows means, we're delighted to be able to share some first-hand answers. My name is Jean, and I'm from Ipswich. I joined Oddfellows because there seemed to be several benefits of it, but then I discovered that I could book um, a Fred Olsen cruise through them, and that was brilliant because a few of us went together from Ipswich and of course I got to know lots of people. And then gradually I found there are lots of social events. There's a cream tea coming up. I went to a lecture this week. So it's given me lots of different things to do, an easy way to organise cruises and a way of meeting new friends and doing lots of activities. So it's great. Hi, I'm Bill from Morton in Marsh, North Gloucestershire. I've been an odd fellow for many years. In times of trouble, the help I've received from them has been wonderful. I am now serving my district at various levels, endeavouring to give back something to help other members. I can highly recommend being a member of the Odd Fellows. If you've recently retired and need inspiration to find a new routine, take a look at what your local Odd Fellows friendship group has to offer. The Oddfellows want to help you make the most out of your retirement with social events, group holidays, volunteering opportunities and well-being support. To find out more about their retirement support, give them a call today on 0800 028 1810 or visit oddfellows.co.uk. It's time to start a new chapter of your life. Now, let's get back to the story. Let me top up my coffee, grab some of my friends and we'll have that little chat about it. That was They All Found Happiness, superbly read by Lucy, who we also have on the panel today. Hello, Lucy. Hello, everyone. Also from the fiction team, we have Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Hello, everyone. And joining us is DC Thompson archivist, Barry. Hello, Barry. Hello. Hello. Um, First to know is that it's been a while since you were on the podcast last, Tracy. So welcome back. Thank you. Last time I was on the podcast, I recorded it at home. So it's lovely to be here with everyone this in person. This is the person. first time we're in the, in the studio. Um, and I believe the last stories you did was season one. And they were like from the very early 1900s, was it? It was like 1911. That, yes, that's right. They were so yeah. very vintage. So I firstly just kind of wanted to ask, how did that compare to, the, to this one from the 1940s? Did you feel like a big difference in the writing? Yeah, it certainly the ones where you've, just listened to certainly flows a bit better it's less stilted I would say in the writing style though 
to be fair, it's still the previous one, the older one, still had a very good um, heart and soul to the story, just like this one. Yeah, I think the People's Friends stories have that very heartful thread throughout all of them, through all the times. But I remember listening to some of the earlier episodes and just it was a lot of the more difficult language and weirdly um, structured sentences <laughs> that used to trick trip people for a wee bit. And I find a bit less of that in the in the later stories. It just seemed a bit less formal, I thought. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's, it's the, they spoke in the earlier stories how no one would ever actually speak. Or maybe they did back then, I don't know. But it didn't seem like a way anyone would actually speak. Whereas these are a lot more sort of believable characters and believable dialogue and things like that. Um, I picked this one out from the archives because it has a lovely big illustration that you can't miss, um, which I'll share with the episode. And I always go for ones that have like, a different, you know, it's got like a grandma figure in it, so it's it's a bit more of a family dynamic. Um, when I read it, I really liked it when I first read it. My notes, I looked back at my notes from when I was in the archive, and I said that it had complex emotions and was really heartfelt. Um, I, however, I think I think a bit differently now. So I'm going to ask, what were your first impressions, and did they change? And I'm going to start with Barry. Oh. Um, that's okay. <laughs> my, f- my first impressions were not good and they got worse. Oh no. I mean, I don't even honestly know where to start with how bad this story is. Uh, I usually take notes just to explain to the listeners uh, as I read this. Well, we're lucky because Jackie will transcribe these uh, into Word documents and I've actually run out of space on the pages with the notes that I started to make. Um, I mean, let's, look, let's start with this lovely big picture. They all found happiness. Really, what, like five minutes after this was taken? I mean, do they look in remotely happy to you in any shape, way, or well, form? But this will be the scene where they're being like, we're taking Janny, and the granny still thinks she's getting know, left by herself. But the fact that they start, they've actually given the, the end away with the title is not a great start. Um, I also think the weird thing about this particular picture, as I looked at it a bit more, is... You know, this the character of Rosemary looms large over this story. Mm-hmm. And I just would have expected in the mise-en-scene of this particular image, you might have seen a little picture of Rosemary. Yeah. Something there, you know, where she's been all winsome or whatever she's doing. Um, but no, there's, there's nothing there. And I thought it was a really odd choice. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's, that's, that's by the by. I think we have very different... What did you think of the illustrations? Do you like it? I thought it was very of the time. I thought it was very sort of idealised family. Something that struck me was that it mentioned it more than once in the story about um, brown as a nut or brown as a berry. Yeah, her brown hands, Sonia's hands. Sonia's complexion. Ah. And yet that's not even sort of tanned or or slightly a different complexion. That's very Something that also struck me was just what you said, Barry, that not only the title, but also the illustration gives away yeah. the end of the story. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm, judging from what you've just said, I don't think we're on the same wavelength of hatred of the story. I didn't mind it. It's not hatred. It's, it's, well, you know what? It isn't actually. It's frustration. I, when uh, I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack a bit. Yes, my opinion did change slightly because if I if I started more positively, there's some interesting stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So I made a wee note of all the things that I think were interesting about it, this is, bear in mind, this was, what, 1940, April 1940, we're, what, eight months into a war? 
Yeah. And this is a story that almost anticipates some of these weird and stress, you know, things that are going to happen later on after the war almost. So it's prescient in acknowledging that some foster parents will not want to give, you know, give back their evacuees, and that was a common thing. It also foresees the impact of men returning from war, replacing women in their roles. Traumatised males unable to cope emotionally with family life, paediatric grief and the effects of losing parents, and the effects on, um, well, I guess, the gender roles, mm-hmm. boys losing fathers. So it's got all this stuff going on. That's... But then they write it really badly. <laughs> yeah. And in that terms is... of plot, character development, dialogue, <laughs> and weird word choice, I just don't know. I really like <laughs> your point of that it kind of parallels that men coming home and taking the women's roles back because they're literally taking her role away of mothering. I felt sorry that Johnny didn't know how to tie a knot properly, like oh. his friends. <laughs> I thought I felt very sorry for Gran, but that was remiss. Do, that, do you, you know, know who the... could have sorted that out from? Baden Powell. <laughs> he could have joined the Scouts. <laughs> but he wasn't allowed. He wasn't even allowed to get his feet wet when he went to school as well. So I did feel for Gran... And, you know, coming back to the the illustration, I think if we were doing the artwork brief now, it would be a montage of Grand Janney and picture of Rosemary somewhere in the background. Um, We wouldn't have the absent father and his new bride in it at all. I think something that struck me about Gran as well is that she's probably about the age that we are now. So um, I can't tie knots either, so I don't think it was for Janney. I think it just shows that in those in those times, you know, if if you were Gran, you were sort of, there was a mental picture of you as being a much older lady, certain style of dress and so on. Um, actually, she's probably only early 50s. Yeah. yeah. If she was widowed at 25. Let, let's talk about that Rosemary a wee bit, because I, I can't make my mind up whether I like the way Rosemary is in the story and that she's very much at the heart of it and you get a strong sense of, what she was like and stuff. But then what she was like was basically just delicate and sickly and needed looked after. Yeah. And I do think she's she's arguably, like, she's so important to it. And I quite like that they've managed to do that, even though she's not in it as a character. But I also just think the characterization isn't the best. <laughs> I wondered if it was trying to be a little bit like Rebecca in that the ghost of, of the lady sort of shadows the whole story mm-hmm. um obviously you never actually you know we're not going to come into contact with rosemary in any way but you know she throws a long shadow as it were over the proceedings that are happening in the present day that's a, that's an interesting one yeah i mean there is an element of that but rebecca in rebecca she's a real presence indeed and rosemary mm-hmm. is almost a Mm. It's, it's weird. Well, I found this weird line, which I, I still keep coming back to, where she's described as being as fragile as Dresden china, mm-hmm. as beautiful as a as beautiful as a half-opened flower, not a flower, <laughs> a half-opened flower. Just, What's she's why? She's not quite in blue. Is, <laughs> she didn't get the chance to be but, in blue. But, but that's uh, another point, isn't it? I mean, yeah. there's oh god, I don't know where to begin. And, you know, when they, they talk about her coming from, there's an, a, bit, a bit where it's just. The writer, who's also obviously been paid by the word, is saying, you know, we're talking about Rosemary had grown up from babyhood to childhood, from childhood to radiant, beautiful girlhood. And then John had come into her life 
prior to womanhood. I just found mm. that there, very off-putting. That's a common thread through a lot of these stories, and it, very much in this one, where they just constantly compare the women in the love interest to children, and it's like, she was childlike. And even Sonia, it says she was little more than a girl, and obviously... Rosemary at the time she was it says that he looked after her in the way that you look after delicate little girls or something I'm like oh no <laughs> no they like didn't that. sit well at all no, no. <laughs> and um but she got a bit of a yeah. rum deal because I think it's further on in the story basically he says hmm, kind of didn't really you know we were a bit young and then she died never mind I'm off so there was that sort of Rosemary doesn't get a voice from the past or no, a little and bit of a backstory at all, other than she's delicate. Yeah, she literally does say as well um, that she was. Ha- it basically says something like she was happy to die for John. <laughs> like she was happy. Do you think she was? It well, says no, that it a few times. Yeah, I think it does, doesn't it? Indeed, yeah. The dice was loaded from the start for Rosemary, I think, to take a line from a Dire Straits song, really, wasn't it? She didn't stand a chance. Yeah, it's, it's the same as the, as fragile as Dresden China. Little Rosemary, who had given up her life so happily for John. I don't think she would have been happy about it at and, all. No. no. <laughs> um, and, and going on to that, how, you know, because the grand lies at the end by saying that, oh, he didn't really love her, he was just looking after her and that. And I'm like, and she thinks she's lying, but then it's like, oh, well, you know, maybe that actually is proved to be the case. But imagine it wasn't. Like, imagine he actually did really love Rosemary and would never get over it and didn't actually want to be with Sonia. And she's just, I don't know, I just found the whole lie, lying plot a bit strange. I thought it was weird as well. She attributed attributed that lie to to Rosemary more than John. And, you know, the living. She, had, she felt bad about what she said about her daughter, but didn't have, you know, like you say, didn't really think about the impact or the after effects of what this could be. That wasn't the bit she felt bad about. no. I feel bad. Rosemary, uh, you know what? Rosemary is, is just used yeah. through this whole story. She's just used by John. She's used to have a baby. And then she's even used by her grand to kind of make up an excuse or a lie, which is a bit of a shame. And we've not even touched on John just coming back from oh, Canada and saying, rant about <laughs> I'll just have you back, sir. Um, you know, that just that, the, the harshness of that. And also it, it felt like Sonia was a bit, bit scared of him I don't know that came across so I John think she and, came across as being very young and yeah. also being used to some degree yeah. as, a, as a foster mum um a surrogate mum as it were um yeah and also just interesting what you were saying Barry about characterization because nobody's developed as a character like when they're talking about John it's just about how he's big strong dependable and these well, words not are that used dependable is he let's be honest <laughs> <laughs> indeed not if you're Johnny um but we don't know anything about him we couldn't really say anything about him other than that he was unable to cope with the grief um, and so he ran away and left Johnny in, in Grant's care and then decided that now was the appropriate time to come back. So we don't really know no. anything it's, about them. That's true. The same with Sonia. All we know is that she has brown hands because they say it about 10 yeah. times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that she can children. And then equally, Rosemary, all you know is that she was pretty and sickly and delicate. And, yeah. and that's all there is to the, to the characters. It's interesting. I wonder... Um, obviously first published in April 1940, no allusion to the war, I don't think. Um, I wonder if that was something that was prevalent in the friend of the time. Did they try and, was it like COVID where they tried not to mention it too much? Was it a sort of escape bubble? No, I mean, it was there. It was, it had a, 
I took that idea and kind of went back through a couple of the friends from around that period. And you can see where some of the stories have obviously been written pre-war. So some of the bigger serials, the young S1s, all those, no mention of, but then peppered throughout. There, mm. were, um, there were these sort of profile pieces on high-ranking officials. Uh, there was something called the Soldier Songs. There was, weirdly, another feature called Letter to My Son, and it was... I initially thought it was um, the friend being a conduit to, to people in, um, on the front line, but I think it was a, a fictitious piece uh, from, a, weirdly, from a father to a son. So even within that context, this story just seems an odd choice. Um, the other thing that really stood out to me was, even if this was written pre-war and there's no allusion to it, mm. within the context of the, the contemporary readership, how would they have looked at John fleeing to Canada? How would that have sat? Yeah, why wasn't he called up? Why or wasn't he called fighting? up? Why wasn't you know he's disappeared to Canada? And then weirdly enough, even making this story even stranger, uh, the week before this, there was like this. Um, I'm gonna have to do this justice. I refer to my notes, but there was um, almost like a tribute to our dominions, and I'll put those in inverted commas, uh, where the people's friend uh, were paying homage to all the, the sons of the motherland who had come back to fight on their behalf. And there was a, a story called The Years Between by Janet Murray. And this was a, oh, these are quotes, a story dedicated to those men of empire who have once more willingly answered the call of the motherland they love. And there are some weird capitalizations going on in there. <laughs> men of empire, call of motherland, love. Very peculiar. And in in between the, the two uh, panels, the, the illustrations on the start of this page is the, are the opening lines to O Canada. And then this is then followed uh, later on with the, the editor who is again then paying tribute in, in his own, uh, uh, I don't know what you call it, his editorial, I suppose, the mm -hmm. letters, yep. you know, his, his contact with the readership. Um, and he's talking about all the letters from our dominions. And <laughs> there's... There's a line which I don't think we'd make the cut today. Is it not a wonderful empire we have? Oh dear. It's, it's all about cringy, but you can see where it's coming from. I understand it. They've got, you know, these people are coming back, um, whether they're expats or, you know, second gen or wherever they are, they're coming back to and fight. They're, and they're wanting to inspire And they want to inspire. Attachment. And if, yeah, that's what it feels like because obviously I, it sounds like the people's friend was selling in Canada. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm sure you see subscription things at that time. So, to have somebody then run away to Canada to, you know, this dereliction of family duties, mm -hmm. then get bored of the place. And let's yeah. face it, that's the only reason he comes back. He's bored of Canada and he wants his farm back. You know, Janny just happens to be in the middle of this and he's now got a wife, so that's fine. But it actually says he's gotten tired of Canada. It all seems a bit strange. I just don't know where this, this story fits. Do I want to know what's happened in Canada. That's a whole different story. <laughs> it should be grand story really shouldn't it because yeah. it's about her and it's almost like the other characters have been written around that and even Janny it's just like oh, you're going with them now and he just says right okay that's fine mm -hmm. so it's they've not even developed grand particularly well but I think it's you know it should be more of her but it's um, all the circumstances have just been sort of cobbled together a little bit I just wonder if it might be a case of, as well as the writing not perhaps being um, 
as up to par as it might have been, it is a little bit superficial with that lack of development of characters and um, just in general, it just all seems a bit on the surface, I yeah. think. Um, certainly it's just a case of, you know, as you've suggested, Trace, it might be a case of needing a filler story and something that was there yeah. just happened to be used. I suppose something else is if if this was April 1940, the lead time would have been longer in those days. And I suppose it was hard for them to know how long the war was going to last and how to plan. That's must have been quite interesting. Yeah, I think this is something we've picked up on other mm. episodes as yeah. well. It's like how much to reference it, how much not to. I think it's it definitely has parallels with COVID where mm-hmm. it was literally a 50-50 split. Mm. Wasn't it with yeah. our readers where some readers absolutely did not want to read anything about it. They wanted the friend to be a COVID-free zone, as it were. And then the other 50% did want it to be represented, but just not, you know, perhaps not stories at the front of the magazine and just not too much about it, more about how it affected people. Mm-hmm. So perhaps it was a similar sort of situation then. I mean, it could well have been filler, but Lillian Chisholm was quite a well-known writer. Mm. Um, not one of the Friends superstars, but she seems to have been pretty well known. She seems to have been prominent in various publications. I think she may have been a columnist as well, but she had about three different pseudonyms, as far as I could tell. Um, she was Lillian Chisholm, Lillian Maria Slatcher Chisholm, Anne Lorraine and Jane Allen. And I think I'm right in saying she did um, some romantic fiction, sort of Mills and Boone stuff, a little later in her mm. career. So she... I, I don't know, she doesn't sound like somebody that would have been kept in a back burner. I don't know, maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but kept in a back burner for that. But again... They maybe uh, just thought it was good. Yeah. They maybe did. Yeah. They maybe did. And, you know, maybe I'm just coming at it wrong, but it, there's just so much about this just doesn't make sense. The internal logic of it, some of it doesn't it's, make sense. It's circumstance-driven, I think, rather than character-driven. Yeah. It's, it's a premise and they've almost written the characters around mm-hmm. this premise, haven't they? It seems to be... Yep. The thing I have the biggest problem with is I just, I felt bad for Elizabeth and I thought she was completely right in her want to keep Janney. Um, I think the story, the writer, I might be wrong, but I got the impression the writer was trying to make out that Elizabeth was wrong and Janney needed the nuclear family dynamic and he did need his dad, you know, the thing with the knife and stuff like that. Mm. <laughs> um, and even the, and the rope. But I was, no, I was like, no, I think Elizabeth can do a perfectly yeah. good job. I don't understand. And the priest, I did good. not understand that scene. He was helpful. That he was, was horrible. A weird thing. I mean, there was that whole section. <laughs> um, was it needed? I don't think it was actually even needed. It, um but he does at some point say that he's got sort of, is it kindly eyes? And then, and then the old man rose to his feet, feeling suddenly tired to death. So often of late, he had this feeling when one of his parishioners came to him, trusting him implicitly. So, it, <laughs> he's like he's really sick of having to solve, he's complaining about solving no problems. Yeah, we're really just I'm sick like, of your problems. Um, I think that's your job, Sorry, yeah. my friend. <laughs> sorry. The old, man, the old man's eyes were very gentle. Well, he's a hell of an actor, isn't he? I know, and it's just oh that he, he kind of gaslights Elizabeth. They're just yeah. like, you know, convinced, oh, don't you think Rosemary would have wanted this? It's like, I think she knows what her daughter would have wanted. You know, or like, you know, it doesn't even matter. She can make her own decisions now. It's just, it, it was a weird exchange. I um, poorly served as Elizabeth throughout this, though. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so strange. The number of times she's referred to as old. Yeah. Even in, in a bit, there's a flashback 
to when this, this is another strange leap of logic. There's a bit when she's looking back at little Rosemary, who was so different to the other, other village children. Cringe. They were big and strong, and she was as delicate and dainty as a flower, as shy, as winsome as a fairy. And then there's this thing, this quote that says, Too good for this world, you mark my words. The old women of the village had whispered among themselves, but old Elizabeth had scoffed at them. Well, first of all, in that context, and she's young Elizabeth anyway, oh. but if they've been whispering amongst themselves, how did she know? <laughs> yeah. And is, you know, what a horrible thing to say. Is this them just saying she's too good for this world? <laughs> the, yeah, the old women are basically saying like, oh, she looks like she's about to. Where do these people yeah. live? Yes, I felt very sorry for Elizabeth. Old Elizabeth or Gran or Mum. She seems interchangeable what? throughout the end. What's that about? Because Sonia refers to her as oh, Gran and then oh, Mother. Mum threw yeah. me completely. There's yeah. a lot of, the, yeah, there's a lot of weird um I think she's, she's very taken for granted. And I think just to quickly come back to the minister, um, I think they sort of used a person in a in a responsible position, as it were, to legitimise the argument they were trying to mm-hmm. progress. When in actual fact, you know, you do feel she's been gaslit a little bit. Yeah. She's done all this work. She's, you know, provided everything for yeah. Johnny and nobody, you know, the minister included, has denied that. And yet, you know, these people are coming back into her life and she's expected to just say, yes, go ahead and take yeah. them. I don't think so. I, I, for a while, I couldn't figure out where the right was going to go. Was she going to back Elizabeth and it would end up being like, actually, no, Elizabeth is the best person to take care of Johnny. Or was it going to go and they would just take her away? I will admit, despite the title giving it away, I didn't see the sort of twist coming that they were like oh no you come you're staying yeah. with us too and it worked out well for everyone i didn't see that coming but yeah i would have preferred it to have just been like actually do you know what we see that Johnny's the happiest with you so we'll leave him in it, your capable care and it's very much of its time i suppose that a child should be with a man and a woman yeah. not his gran it should be like you were saying this a nuclear family set up so you know you've done a Good job so far, Elizabeth, but, you know, it's really not quite how it should be. We need to buy him a knife and yeah, stuff. Cha- yeah, my goodness. <laughs> and she can still work with the best of them, but she's at least 10 years off retirement age. <laughs> <laughs> well, she says at one point, I'm going to fight this with every ounce of my strength. But throughout this, she's portrayed as frail and old. And the fact that, mm. isn't it strange that they think a grand and her grandson walking through the village are an odd couple? When apparently, according to old Joe, with everyone's old in this village, I don't know where those people live. <laughs> older old, children. Yeah, older Joe, even older Joe, says, oh, no, but he's growing and he, he looks more like you every day. So then they're not that weird a couple then, not that odd. Mm-hmm. What What is this village? And especially picking back up on that sort of wartime point when that probably would have been a lot more common, older people looking after the kids. Absolutely, yeah. Because of the mum would have had to go work and the dad had been off. But it's almost like setting the scene that that's wrong. And yeah. you're just waiting on John and his new wife to come back and that's how it should be. So it's almost like giving you little clues that mm, it's a bit off. I also have the sneaking gran. suspicion that she was mainly being asked to come and stay for babysitting yes. duties. <laughs> as well. And light housework probably as well. And not in the nicest possible way either. Why you dear stupid old gran. I was going to come <laughs> to that and- well, that's that's not how you ask someone to go and do your babysitting for you, is it? I really? Like it's meant to be like really loving, like oh, 
dear stupid old gran but like there's no way to say that lovingly it's it was just... funny because when I was actually reading the story it was difficult to read it in a way that was loving and not going to yeah. the same thing. you did a fantastic job by the way the reading was lovely you just told her you're coming too so you're going to just give up your house and all your memories and all your friends and all your support networking. Just you're, you're coming with us. Yeah. Was, was there a gun involved? Is there something <laughs> we're not seeing here? You're coming with us, stupid so old man. Is, I, I, th- I actually even think John is meant to be like, you're meant to kind of like him because when he turns up, you know, Gran is immediately like, oh, it's just the same old John and he's just as nice. I'm like, I, excuse me. He abandoned his child yes. and, and responsibilities and just decided... That now was time to come back, regardless of what you think. And no, I don't. I don't like John. <laughs> and also, one word: maintenance. Were there any Canadian dollars sent over for Johnny? <laughs> I don't think true. so. Oh, he doesn't sound. I don't know if he's that astute. Anyway, he's coming back to take over a farm that the, other, the current tenants are desperate to get out. You got to wonder about that, <laughs> really. I mean, the other. Yeah, the other thing is. I mean. Maybe within the context of the war, maybe there's another moral here. It's just occurred to me that he's come back, whereas what he could have done is sent away for Janny to go with them, and the both of them to go. So I wonder if that's maybe the moral here. Is yeah. you know they came back, they come did back their duty, and they're going to they're going to work on a farm and provide for the, the country, you know, more widely. It's a weird way of going about it, though. Yeah. Although I mean, farming would have been a reserved occupation, I'd imagine. I suppose it was, yeah. Yeah, it would have been, yeah. So, I mean... Again, Maybe he was trying to get out of it then. I know. <laughs> like, I don't trust him. Oh, yeah, yes. <laughs> Can we also address the, the, the elephant in the room here? Why is the writer persevered with this Janny nonsense? That threw me completely at the very start. Yeah. I thought it was a girl. And I had to reread oh. the first the opening chapter. I thought, Janny? And I actually looked it up and it's, it's Nordic for Johannes. So I thought, okay, maybe there's a Nordic connection. no. Kid just decided to call himself Janny and we're just running with it throughout <laughs> I, I, the story. Because did you not, we quite liked the Janny or you oh. quite liked it? Because I thought it was just, that's just how he said Johnny. Yeah. Like, is it, is it, does he have a bit of an accent? Like, what, an American Janny. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Janny. <laughs> I think it was just a pet name. Yeah. yeah. I just thought it was like a, an accented Johnny or just yeah. a, a way that he can't quite say Johnny or something. A, a North American thing. He sounds more authentically North American than Sonia. <laughs> yeah. There's so many interesting things I think about this story in that you know even from the illustration they're trying to portray this image of family togetherness um, and happiness and being a unit but the whole story the whole backdrop of the story is the fact that the father has left and is now returning Um, it doesn't really make sense it doesn't add up in that regard I don't think he's also wearing slippers in this picture I've just realized let's not judge him we just left them there this whole time. Yeah, they're just really fancy shoes. Maybe they're really fancy <laughs> shoes, but they look like slippers. I will. I will we'll come. I'll come back to you, Lucy. So, oh, actually, Tracy as well as our fiction team representatives. Um, how does this compare to what we would publish today? Is there any way we would tweak this to work in the current friend, or you know, would we publish it? What do you think? I think it would go back for a full rewrite <laughs> rather than <laughs> a tweak. Rewrite. <laughs> yeah, it would be handled very differently. And the thing is, the the. the germ of the story is definitely there it's an interesting take and you know you could apply it to modern times as well because families are very different now mm-hmm. and blended families and all sorts of setups so something like this where a parent would come back and want 
you know, access to their child if they'd been away is relevant and topical. And I think it probably always has been. But it, the characters would certainly be developed um, in a much more realistic and, and better manner. I Definitely. Would think. And I think we would just be encouraging a little bit less of a disjointed feel to it where, you know, one minute it's all family togetherness, as I said, and then, you know, there's this element of separation. And yeah. um, although, as you say, it, if it was written when the war had started, it, there are so many things that are interesting. For example, families being separated, mm -hmm. women taking over, you know, roles that they wouldn't perhaps normally yeah. have taken over, etc. Um yeah, it would definitely be a full read yes, for I think me. So, yep, and a different artwork brief. <laughs> yes, yeah. which didn't give away the story. <laughs> I actually, at one point, I know I read it somewhere in my notes. I just wrote the words, the phrase, "Has this been edited?" Because there's so many different weird word choices. There was one. It got to a point where it was stopping me, sort of not enjoying, but even being involved with the fiction. It just it mm -hmm. drew me out of it completely. Other other little boys didn't live with their grannies. They had mothers and dads. No, they had mothers and fathers or mums and dads. That is the convention. Why have you gone with this? And there's another bit near the beginning as well. Uh, she reuses the word radiant in different contexts. And I just thought that's a strange, a strange thing to do. And then on a soft spring night, a little son was born. And the flame of rosemary that flickered so feebly went quietly out. On a soft spring night. Yeah. And I'm... I, I did actually quite huh? like that line though of her the flame of yeah. her flickered and went that's the all I I underlined that and put nicely put and that was the only <laughs> the rest of it I was like I'm not really and yeah I had a problem with the repetition of of certain words and phrases and and also just the hammering home of like you said enough that rosemary is delicate let me yeah. get it <laughs> yeah I think the whole um, way that it talks about women in terms of motherhood so for example Sonia when she looks when Gran looks at Sonia and, and immediately makes the assumption that this sort of woman would be able to bear children easily that's a pretty big assumption to make mm -hmm. um, well she can't have children and that's then the it transpires that she can't and this is quite a personal thing I think to deal with on such a superficial level um, especially in the times that they had them where unfortunately people weren't they didn't have access to to sort of help with mm -hmm. with um, fertility and so on. I don't know. I think it's just a pretty big thing yeah. to deal with in a couple of sentences. Yeah. You, you I, can understand, in terms of the character, you could understand it. You could understand her almost sizing up indeed. other women and going, well, she would have survived that. You know, yeah. you can understand um, that. Yeah. But then you know, that towards the end of that, where she's showing Sonia around the, the I think it's her own room, actually. Yeah. I suppose she says, well, uh, which is doing her hair, I think it is, and it, in what had been Rosemary's room once. And Elizabeth felt a pang of jealousy. I thought, that's an odd choice. Jealous of what? Bitterness? Maybe resentment? I can understand. Yeah. Jealousy? Mm. No. I, I read it as, as jealousy that um, Sonia gets to go about living in Rosemary's room and using her things and, and existing, basically, when oh, right. Rosemary Just, doesn't get to. I mean... Well, yeah, well, maybe that's what it is, but I mean, it's, it's jealousy is having what yeah. somebody else has and you don't. Yeah. It's a weird one choice. Yeah. But bitterness, yeah, maybe I yeah. get on board with. But I just, I don't know. She, but I can, I can understand the the idea of her looking at other women and just, and then do the the thought process of all those other kids were big and strong. I, there was a thread there. There was something going on there, but it just wasn't 
to me it wasn't mm-hmm. capitalised on, mm-hmm. it wasn't built on in any meaningful way. And also just seeing women as simply products to have children. <laughs> that was the other thing that, yeah. that you know, if or to look after yeah, children. Exactly. Indeed. And if you die having one, well, that's just so She be was it. happy to do it. Exactly yeah. for John. But you know that um it's it's projection on Elizabeth's part, isn't it? This idea that she was the, the one thing that her daughter wanted more in the world was to give her husband a son. And it's like, no, that's what you wanted. Yeah. And the other thing, again, the, the logic of the story, uh, what it tells you about Elizabeth's sort of sad widowhood, all her dreams of a little son had died when her husband had died. So she couldn't have possibly remarried. Yeah. That was yeah. beyond the pale, was it? <laughs> this village is so small, so insular, with old, I guess, old, old people. I don't know what's going on. And that there. lovely priest could have married her as or well. Yeah, with old, his old Joe the old, eyes. Old, yeah. Old yeah. Yeah. Because because he was round for a comfort. <laughs> <laughs> could have been old together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I think when I first read this, I don't know, I thought, it could, I, maybe I'd just been reading a lot of the earlier kind of twee romances and this was obviously very different and dealt with, like I say, it does touch on really complex emotions and things like that, but but as I, when I retyped out and read it again, I've kind of like, oh, no, actually, <laughs> this isn't great. Um, on a number of levels. On a number of levels. <laughs> I think the biggest one for me is, is that kind of saying that, um, Elizabeth and Janney isn't a family unit. You need mum and dad and that to be a family yeah. unit. And and like you say, if if this is wartime and everything, family started to look a lot different. There was lots of different family dynamics. So I don't know why they're so insistent on this being the being the odd. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll um we'll start wrapping up and we'll go through our ratings out of five stars is what we're doing. Um, and I will start with Lucy. Ratings out of five. I think I'm going to say two. Because I agree with you that it does touch on a number of very interesting topics, but unfortunately it doesn't do them justice. It's only purely superficial. There's a lot there that if you had more depth could be really interesting. Mm-hmm. I do think that of the time, you know, I think we have to remember we're reading it in 2022. Yeah. And this was 1940. And if you're a lady in 1940 and all this madness is going on in the world around you, you do want some escapism. There was a lot about Elizabeth that people might be able to relate mm. to, perhaps. As you say, Barry, the projecting of her own wish to have a son. Um, and then she has a grandson and, and so on. The fact of, you know, the family's being separated and so on. But it just doesn't follow through with good enough writing or with any development in character um, or go beyond superficiality. So, sorry. Sorry, Lillian, a two from me. <laughs> That's quite all right. And what about you, Tracy? Yeah, I'm going to agree, as often we do about stories. I'm going to give it a two as well. And again, it's all just the circumstances. It's not about the people. I think it's almost like they've written round the situation rather than, you know, the other way. So, yeah, um, I do feel sorry for Janny and his lack of not ability um but i also feel sorry for elizabeth as well sort of very put upon or whatever but i think the author has tried to give us a grittier perhaps family story um and again it was 1940 the writing style's different Mm -hmm. dynamics different and i think we wouldn't have had that illustration either we'd have had a more general one that doesn't give the end away (laughs) And they also had rosemary. I think that's yes, something that exactly. you know, can't delicate, be overstated. Delicate Just, rosemary deserved yeah. her place. I think so. Yep. 
Um, I'm gonna give it a three, only because I originally, for some reason, really <laughs> like it jumped out at me. I enjoyed it, um, but also because I know there's other episodes that I think I've given a two to that I like this more than. So I'm gonna go with a three. Um, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Barry? I will give this one and a half open flowers out of five. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I feel sorry for the reader, to be honest. Um, no, I, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a missed opportunity. It was. I, yeah. I just feel that it was, um, there was a there was a kernel of something in there, and it was just half-hearted. I don't know. It's hard to explain. So overall, written half open flowers. One half. <laughs> one and a half open flowers. Fabulous. Um, I will leave it there then, and I will just say thank you to Lucy for reading the story for us and to Tracy and Barry for joining us, and to you for listening. All that's left for me to say is until this wee group of friends gets together again for another story, from the friend to you, cheerio! Thanks again for joining us for this episode of Reading Between the Lines. Follow on your podcast app today so you don't miss out on our next story, and check our previous episodes for more from the Friend Archives. We would be delighted if you were to recommend this podcast to your friends. If you don't already get the People's Friend magazine delivered, because you listen to Reading Between the Lines, you have an exclusive offer to subscribe to get your first 13 issues for just £6. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And for more from The People's Friend, visit thepeoplesfriend.co.uk, subscribe to our newsletter, or find us on Facebook and Twitter. Here's to you back! There's a dainty little journal that is read both far and near. It has had a host of rivals, still it stands without a peer. It is bright and entertaining from the first page to the end, and is known to its admirers as the dear old people's friend. A charming little journal is the friend. Of good things it is such a happy blend That to read it at your leisure is a pleasure without measure The friend to friends in trouble recommend They won't be happy till they get the friend